if you're a podcast listener, then you're probably got Insight Timer on your phone and you can be listening to free meditations and totally free. I've got a few on there that I really enjoy that are 10 minutes that help me go off to sleep at night. And generally I'm asleep at the five minute mark and that automatically turns off because that's the whole point of the app is that yeah. it will turn off because you finished. So there's all sorts of different ways of getting us from these fight and flight stages into a better stress system, into recognizing stress. And lots of people don't recognize it. So understanding stress. Mentoring with Geraldine is a bite-sized practitioner podcast for naturopaths, nutritionists, herbalists, coaches, and practitioners. This podcast responds directly to the needs of you, the practicing natural therapist. We have interviews during the holiday season and business and mindset support each week so you'll get the variety you need to enjoy and stay motivated in your practice. Don't forget to subscribe to receive the weekly episodes. And if you want to connect with me, always check the show notes because that's where you'll find the links to book appointments and of course to join the Academy, the membership group where there's constant connection and community with like-minded practitioners. Now, let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mentoring with Geraldine and the Bite Size Podcast. How the devil are you? So with much excitement, I have Brad McEwen back with us today. So we are at part three. So head back and listen to parts one and two if you haven't already done so. Because for these five sessions, we're really talking about mental health. We're talking about all the parts of mental health. And Brad has been a practitioner for the last 25 years. And so he's had a lot of experience in this, as well as co-authoring papers and writing a lot about mental health and how we can support it as practitioners, as naturopaths, nutritionists, herbalists. And if you're part of the general public who's listening in, then hopefully you're finding out what we do do and how we can help you. So today's session is a bit of a round up of what we're talking about because we're talking about stress management through naturopathy and nutrition and herbal medicine. We're going to really unpack some unpack the impact, let's try and combine words here, of stress on overall health and exploring some of the techniques and some of the other things that we can use to help address stress effectively. So thank you so much, Brad, for coming and joining us today. And let's get right into it. Thank you for the introduction. I'm very much exciting topic to talk about today, stress. I'd also like to start off with saying I've enjoyed the first two sessions as well. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. And I love doing these things. And, and while you were doing an introduction, and maybe think back to a 2005 paper I wrote, so nearly 20 years on mental health in children and teenagers. So you just sort of brought that memory back when you said that. I went, oh, yeah, that is that long ago for that one. So, and it just made me think about I had a short amount of time to write it. So there probably was some stress in that one, which leads to our topic today. So, stress is an exciting topic because stress is everywhere. It's mechanical, physical, emotional, mental, it's holistic, it's it's everything. And without stress, things don't grow in development. And with too much stress, the opposite can happen. It can degrade and break down. So there's that fine line with the stress line. Even if you look at the, because we like to talk a lot of off topic, the continental plates with earthquakes and that, if there's a little bit of stress, it's all right. Too much stress, they break apart. And that could be people as well. Mm -hmm. When it reaches to that sort of major talking point of, of stress, people can actually break down very easily. And a lot of people have different thresholds of stress. 
So that's one thing I need to talk about early on is that everyone has different levels of stress and we always have to take that into account. Just because you don't feel stress in a situation doesn't mean the next person does or doesn't. Do you know what I mean? Like it's a big difference there between people. I know people that get stressed lining up for things. There's too many people around. It's too hustle bustle. It's just too much. We talked about the example of the person driving to me with that lovely story in episode one. Do you know what I mean? So it's like there's all different stressors and everyone has a different way of dealing with it. So let's talk about what is stress. Yeah, what is stress? Generally speaking, I've got a couple of notes on the side, so we'll sort of look to the side a little bit. So we do try and keep on track. The one thing to talk about stress, like I'm saying, is complex. And Mm. the body tries to maintain homeostasis, which is a word we use quite regularly in natural medicine and general medicine as well. The body likes to keep within balance. That's what homeostasis is. And sometimes it'll throw itself out to maintain that balance. So if you look to the caricature of the hunchback of Notre Dame, I know it's a different story. He's got the big hunchback, he's leaning forward. But if you look at the caricature, the head, the neck, the shoulders, the hips and the feet are all in line with each other. It's just the humpback. The body, I know it's only a character, but the way how it's developed is everything else is all in alignment. It's just the hunchback has actually been developed due to the situation. So there's one way of thinking the body throwing itself out of balance to maintain balance to what it thinks is actual balance. Yeah. Because it gets confused sometimes when things don't work well with the signaling. And that's what we talked a little bit about last time with the vitamins and the minerals with cell signaling. If the signals are not there working effectively, the stress cannot be perceived as well as possible. So there's different levels of stress, as we're mentioning, psychological, mental, emotional, work stress. It's got its own category the last few years and we can all laugh about that one because everyone's work stress is different. And what is a stressor? What is a stress? So stress is how you feel. A stressor is what's actually causing it. And that stressor in the old days was the saber-toothed tiger, etc. They used to chase us for the fight or flight, which we're about to talk about. And that's now being changed to the stressor of work and living and the cost of living and everything. The stressors have changed. And it's something that Sometimes you cannot change the stressor because by changing the stressor, you create more stress. Like if your job, for example, is the one stressing you out, some people can't leave that job because they don't have a job to go to or it's not as high paying or it's a different situation that puts more stress. So people hang in as much as they can to the detriment of themselves. And I take my hat off to those people that keep sort of working hard, working through it because they're doing what they can. And that's sometimes what stress is, is you do what you can at that time as natural medicine And as health professionals, we try and build upon that and supply all the different things. So we'll talk about nutrition and herbal medicine and lifestyle medicine and like the whole holistic view of what we're looking at to sort of help support people through different levels of stress. Yeah. Public speaking is a big stress for people. Speaking on podcasts is a big stress for some people, if you know what I mean. Others, it seems simple, like we're just talking here, aren't we? Yes. So let's look at general adaptation syndrome or gas. And sometimes it's mm-hmm. called. It was developed in 1948 or described by Anne Salier. And this is something that we've used a lot. And it's still true to today, the different stages of stress. Yep. So there's the alarm reaction or the alarm stage, the resistance stage, and the exhaustion stage. And a lot of the time we're in the alarm stage, generally speaking. I'll go for each one of these in a moment. But generally speaking, everyone's in the alarm stage because something could happen. We talked about in one of the episodes about the war being in the next country, something that happens, that's a stress. You're driving your car, you're not used to driving in traffic, there could be an accident. doesn't mean there is. It's like that part of that anxiety is something could be happening. That is this first stage. It's the alarm stage. It's something that happened. And that could be waking up. You wake up with a fright because something noisy or something else like that, that's set the system up. The beginning of your day 
already in the alarm stage. That was something that I read interestingly because, I mean, I have an iPhone and my iPhone is set in the morning to alarm, but it's a regular alarm. So it comes with this lovely gentle music. But if I set an alarm for a different time, I get a blaring alarm. And so simple things like that for our clients Mm. is what does your alarm sound like in the morning? Because you're already setting yourself up with that. Is your alarm alarming you? Yeah. And whereas mine just gently, my watch comes on so that I have light in the room because I have an Apple watch. So the light comes on because I have a dark room. Everything slowly builds and then the music starts. It's really quiet, really gentle. And it slowly gets louder. I've heard it by about the first three notes because I'm generally awake. I wake it before 6.30 and my alarm goes off at 6.30. So it's only actually on for a minute before, less than a minute probably before I turn it off. But that's a relaxation into waking. It's a gentle wake up. So with me, if I set an alarm, I always wake up before it no matter what time. It's like the internal circadian brain or something works it out. I could change the different times and always wake up. I find that interesting. But if you start off with the fire alarm signal or something mm-hmm. like that as your alarm, which I know some mm-hmm. people do, that's actually a bit of a trigger because that's a fire alarm and that can set something else up. But if you have your favorite song or, like you said, a nice gentle sort of flow into it, that's a good way to start. That's a good way of starting our conversation. It's the alarm stage is how do you set yourself up for the alarm yeah. as well? Some people don't allow enough time for things. Some people, it's just their planning as well could be the alarm stage. They're not used to a certain thing. They've had changes in their life, so that's the alarm stage. So this is a process separate ways in, and this is part of the fight or flight response. The saber-toothed tiger's running towards us. There's our alarm stage back in the day. Do we fight and probably not win, or do we flight and get out of the way? And that happens every single day. We make decisions. I forget they said tens of thousands of decisions a day we make without thinking. Do we go left? Do we go right? Do we walk this way? There's things that we could see let alone actually all these little micro decisions that we're doing. And that's the ones that we actually physically make, not just the breathing decisions. It's breathing in and out. Yeah, so it's quite interesting to think of that fight or flight with all these different micro decisions that we're doing and we're continuously doing that, like we're driving in traffic, businesses and just shopping and all different decisions we make are causing the body micro stresses and we just go along with it. But when we got this saber-toothed tiger or work or the major alarm phases, that's when it becomes a bit of an issue. There's another phase now if we actually manage to keep fighting off the saber-toothed tiger in our life, and that's called the resistance stage or phase. The body tries to counteract. It's worked out. Something's going on now. I've been doing this for a while. I'm running or something, and it's a resistance phase. This is where the body's parasympathetic nervous system, autonomic nervous system. So it's, it's all talking to each other going, what is going on here? I need to do something more. So it's now starting to resist things. Cortisol is increasing because we need cortisol to get up and we need cortisol to keep us going. But when we do too much cortisol, that's the stress hormone that we all know about. It causes further stress because it's continuously pushing us up. And the body's trying to resist that because it's saying, no, I need to keep doing what I'm doing. But there's a new alarm. There's a new something. There's a new something happening. And it's this process of, can we keep going? The pulse, the heart rate goes up. Therefore, the pulse goes up. The blood pressure changes, the hormones, the neurotransmitters, everything gets released to keep us there at that resistance stage. The body's trying to, the word itself doesn't make sense because it's resistance normally means against, it's resisting against. But if you look at it from what was deciphered back in 1946, is that it's the body resisting what it's trying to do by making it do it. Yep. It's resisting further stress. It's trying to actually put up those barriers 
by saying, let's just dump stuff in and keep this phase going. And then if all goes well, we slow down, sometimes go back to the alarm stage or back to baseline. And that's it. Other times, it's the actual exhaustion stage that gets people where you keep alarming, you keep resisting. And this is the person that's put up with that stress day in, day out, day in, day out for a long time. And that long time could be a week, a month, a year, a decade. We don't know because everyone's different, like we're saying at the beginning. Yeah. And that's the stage that can actually lead to big issues. This adaption capacity is individual, if I can say it like that. It's very much individual where we can have someone run a kilometre and they're fine. The next person run a couple of metres and they're, you know, they're totally gone because the resistance stage and everything hasn't worked effectively. The alarm stage is the gun going off for the race, for example, and the resistance is keeping you going. And some people don't have that capacity. And that's now heading towards what we call the exhaustion phase. And some people teeter on the edge of that pretty much every single day. Yeah. Some people are always alarmed. Let's imagine they're more the anxiety people, possibly, that they're all in that alarms, jittery stage. They're getting there, then they bring it back. And in regards to stress, and we're talking depression, mental health is our main series, and depression is a sort of element of that that we've talked more about, is we're getting to that stage where the body's not able to adapt anymore. It's not able to keep going. Yeah. That's that exhaustion phase. And that's when you see that person going to bed for that week or they literally crash on the floor onto the lounge and they don't move mm. and they need that recovery phase. And the recovery phase is not included in the adaptation syndrome. Yeah. It's not actually included in that because recovery is seen as a normal process that should actually be happening. So it's not actually seen as a separate stage. Yeah. You should be alarmed and recover. You should resist and recover. You should exhaust and recover on paper. Yeah. But when we're talking for real people, this is a process that really is difficult to work with. And when the person comes to you, when you're a health professional in this um, situation, and the person comes to you at any one of these stages, we need to be aware of what stage they're at and if we can work it out. Because some people are in that, what we call subacute, where they're shuffling back and forth through all the stages. Yeah. If we know what the different stages are, we can then go from there and say, hey, let's actually work with this person. And at the same time, work on their alarm stage, resistance, and exhaustion all at the same time. Or you can actually turn around and say, okay, there's no way I can work with this person on total holistic, yeah. which is what we try and do. We're not able to totally holistically help this person because it's going to be too much for them. Yeah, We need to relieve or calm the alarm stage, or we need to support the resistance stage, or we need to support this. And that's sometimes a hard decision for us to make where we want to help them in all areas. And we have to turn and sit back and go, actually, we need to go against our holistic nature and go holistic nature. We sort of go that smaller side yep. and sort of focus more on what elements of that person's health we're looking at. And it could be just balancing out the neurotransmitters and hormones through our magnesiums and B vitamins we talked about, ashwagandhas and radiolas, which we talk more about next session, the herbs. Yep. We're sort of how else we can help that person. And no, right. I try and think of it as a very big adapting process for the person yeah. to work through. I was just going to say that. It's those adaptogenic herbs and those adaptations that we can do with other modalities. So what else can we bring into the mix? I mean, we've got our adaptogenic herbs to start with. I mean, we will talk more about those next time. We'll yeah. dig that bit deeper into the herbs. And we've covered a few lightly anyway. I think simple things sometimes, which people, we want them to go to sleep. We want them to get up without the nasty alarm. 
So we need that time for the brain to go over everything, do what it has to do, our lymphatics and glymphatics to do what they have to do overnight. So we need to get some of those habits often in place because they'll be going to be too late, too late, too late, too late, too late, and you know, stretching it out. So we've got habit change to implement. But there's things that we can teach them. Fine, go to a yoga class. We can teach them things that help them change, like breathing exercises. So, and other holistic approaches. What other things do you use and how do you use breathing exercises? Breathing exercises is one of the first things we should look at because we're not taught how to breathe. So when we're born, we're born into this world. If we take a deep breath, everyone's happy in the room. If we don't take a deep breath, we get whacked on the butt. We go, and that's the way we start breathing. So we don't really get taught how to breathe unless someone tells us. We go slow down or breathe. And sounds funny sometimes when you say to breathe to someone, they actually breathe, yeah. actually slow down and get, and then they do that. So I just get people to be a little bit more conscious of their breath. You can do the old three by three by three, breathe in for three, hold for three, out for three, or the different yoga styles of breathing. Most people can't because they're not used to breathing like that. They're not breathers. They're really quick or they can't. They choke nearly because they're not used to actually doing it. So I say to people, start off slow, as in low down your breath, in and out. Just slow it down. Just be a little bit more conscious. Maybe sit back in your chair a little bit, open up the chest. If you're standing, that's fine, whatever way you're doing it. Laying down, just breathe in just slower and then take it in. And with some people I say, I want you to imagine you got your lungs and that you got your lungs and your bronchus and your bronchioles and the alveoli and all the other bits and pieces. And I want you to get your breath into the leaves on the alveoli. So I want you to sort of breathe in as much as you can. And with some people, it's only a second or two. Yeah. I'm like, no worries. That's okay. Then hold and then out. And then the next time they do it, the next day, whenever they decide to do it, they could do it a hundred times a day if they like. I don't push them at first. I just get them to start doing it. And just start thinking about breathing and filling those air sacs in the alveoli, getting those you know, leaves moving. And you can feel it different. Because one thing to remember is when you breathe, there's residual air left in your lungs. Yeah. Otherwise, the lungs would collapse because they're hollow. They're from, you know, the branches and all that. So what you want to imagine when you breathe in is that you're breathing in all this fresh air and you want to recirculate the air that's already in there and move it, get the, I'll call it stale air, get the stale air out and sort of move it around and breathe in. And that's partly how we breathe. We're shallow breathing. We're only just breathing. The diaphragm's hardly moving. It's just mainly just bronchus yep. breathing. We're not taking it all in. So that's an easy step. And you can do that very easily. You're at the desk. I say to people, when you're driving traffic lights, you're at the red traffic light and you're there for a minute or two, depending on what intersection you're at, and just, just breathe in at every red light. And you've already done so many red lights. And depending on how you drive, there could be a red light every red, every set of lights. So therefore, you're breathing a lot. When you park your car, take some deep breaths. When you get into your office, take some deep You know, do your breathing. Yeah. And it becomes automatic because, like I said, we're not taught how to breathe, but it's an autonomic process. Yeah. We actually breathe naturally. So for us to actually go into the hollow pipe, because the lungs are outside the body, if you think of it that way, it's a hollow pipe. We need to force that air in and out by actually taking those breaths in. Yeah. So I mean, we do have process. we do have a referral pathway there to buteco breathing specialists. I mean, I learned buteco breathing as part of my training. So it was a very long time ago. But breathing, yeah, like we don't get taught it, and that's something when we look at our clients that we observe. Are they using the ancillary muscles? You know, are they lifting their shoulders as they breathe, like asthmatics do? Are they using the diaphragm? Are they breathing deeply? And are they mouth breathers? 
Mm. So one of the times that I get them to breathe is there's certain things you wake up, you should be moving your lymphatics. So moving these upper muscles, going with the cheeks to get everything to move because you've been lying down all night. That's a time that you can do those breathing exercises. If you've got plantar fasciitis, it's the time to stretch your feet before you even put your feet on the ground. There's lots of things we can do that does mean perhaps setting that alarm with a nice tune five minutes earlier so that you can do these things before you get out of bed, before you even put your feet on the floor. So you've got your plantar fasciitis happening, you've got your breathing, you know, you've got all your stress. Make sure those comfortable shoes are right there for you to slip on after you've done these breathing, relaxation breathing exercises to welcome you into the day. We're not talking a huge meditation session here. We're talking That's right. five minutes, 10 minutes max of doing these things to welcome yourself into the day. And then at night, when you lie down, you've taken those supplements that hopefully you're going to sleep on. Breathe your way into sleep. Have those deep breaths to relax your autonervous system, to breathe in and breathe out fully. Like try and get rid of it all. You can't, as we've said, there's always residual air. You can never get rid of all of the air out of our lungs, but you can certainly try so that you can take those deep breaths and you can feel it going into those into the leaves, feel it going into those spaces. You can feel it going down because you've moved the diaphragm and you can practice using your nose in a safe space. And often mouth breathers, because I am and was a mouth breather, I was severe asthmatic, so I had to learn to nose breathe. And one of the ways I did that, and you'll see lots of people, they take the mouth, I go to sleep with my hand literally over my mouth so that I start the process. Because with your nose, it is a use it or lose it situation because of course if you explain to the client you know you're not breathing through the nose so the tissues actually expand they swell because they're trying to filter the air your nose is still trying to do the job it was designed to do even though you're hardly taking any air through it which makes it harder to breathe so it makes it harder to breathe so start you know you might try that nasal breathing either side to get the nose ready to reduce the size of those tissues so that we're breathing through the nose and the body gets used to it and it takes time it takes it's learning and it takes time. It, it takes a good month to learn to breathe properly. And I would say it took me six to eight months of twice a day and sometimes at lunchtime, but definitively morning and bedtime. It took me six months to not carry a Ventolin with me at all times for it to be my safety blanket mm. so that I could, fine, I don't, the city isn't far from where I am. So if I went to town, I wasn't too far from a Ventolin inhaler, but It was a good year and a half before I traveled without one, even though I hadn't used one and I'd stopped using all of my preventers at that point as well. And I hadn't had an asthma attack for a year. Still took me a long time to not refresh that prescription, to not get more of this safety net of a Ventolin inhaler. Because of course I was around before Ventolin was. So when it came on board, boy, oh boy, did that make a change to one's life. (laughs) I want you to think about how Ventolin works and a lot of these things work they work by various different mechanisms I confuse people about but yep. it works by essentially bronchodilation so it's opening yep. up the airways you yep. through beta receptors and all different things yeah, yeah. so if we, if we think of it from that point of view we want to open up the airways we want to open up the whole process head down the sinuses as you mentioned that yep. could be done through magnesium that could be done for a number of herbs that are very nice mm-hmm. relaxing herbs I know we're not talking about sort of asthma herbs, but you can see eyebrows and goldenrod mm-hmm. and 
lot of those kind of herbs are very good at sort of working with the sinusitis. You can even use garlic. Think of those old style garlic horseradish and things like yeah. that. They actually work. And to go over those processes are opening things up. Yeah. And if you think about, and you alluded to meditation as well. Yeah. So if people don't like meditation because they think it's a bit out there, it's we meditate a lot more daily than people think. Yeah. So if we go back to what you're saying, when you first get up, you can set your alarm for when you get up and for five minutes. So therefore you can actually have five minutes of breathing, then your next alarm goes off for you to get up. Because you can have a hundred alarms set on your phone these days. So like the old um, analog phones where you had the bells and that you can only do one. Yeah. So you're going to have a multiple things set up if you'd like to be, I'll use the word regimented to make sure that you do it. But meditation, I've been using different forms of meditation since my teenage years without knowing. So I used to just sit there and think or not think and sort of start, you know, processing differently. And that's what meditation starts off as. Yep. It's just a space for you to be in, whether it's breathing, thinking, not thinking, planning out your year ahead, because it's, you know, we're in 2024 and there's a lot of exciting things ahead for us. So you sort of, you're thinking of that and you just close your eyes and you're breathing, you're going, yes, I'm going to do that. Yes, I'm going to go for, I'm going to go away on a Sunday out for the day and go to the rainforest or the beach, or I'm going to do something and pretend you don't normally do that. That's meditating in a way because you're thinking about a positive aspect that you're going to be working towards. So meditation can be seen as lots of different avenues. And when you start getting deeper into meditation, you see brainwave changes. You start seeing you know, the whole breathing change in people, their blood vessels change, the vasodilation, so the arteries and veins are opening up, circulating blood more. There's changes in MRI and CT scans when they've done it. There's actual functional and structural brain changes in people that meditate, brains are structurally different in long-term Blood pressure drops. It does so many Blood pressure things. changes. Yeah. Even your peristalsis, your digestive tract changes because it's that flow. That changes because you're breathing. And guess what? That helps your digestion because your diaphragm's moving the circulation in that sort of viscera. Yeah. So there's all these different things from just breathing properly for a start. Yeah. And then if you focus on meditating and going somewhere with it and meditation can be 30 seconds yeah. can be 30 minutes i've had friends who have done those you know those seven to ten day things where you don't talk to anyone you get up you eat and you drink and you like you do basic things but the whole rest of the day is you go into your own spot and you meditate and go off and do your own thing and and it's like silence no one talks to each other there's a general rule and you sort of go and do your own thing within the realm of what the retreat is yeah there's lots of ways you can do it. If you don't think you can do it yourself and you need some help, join meditation classes. And mm. there's some very good you know, visualization ones. I did one on a retreat a couple of years ago now where um, I had an injury. I had sort of fractured hands and I took my side, went for a good little fall and I put effort in everything I did. I went on a retreat as a recovery thing. And once I actually got on the ground to do the meditation, I laid there and it was very nice and relaxing for me because my body hadn't felt like that because of what it was going through. And it was very calm, relaxing. The person running it was very good. There was a lot of visualization techniques. So it was a different kind of meditation. It was guided. Yeah. And I felt really good during that time. And I normally do anyway with meditation. This one worked very well. And I thought of nothing. I just thought of the rain progress or whatever positive. I didn't think of anything else. And then when it was over, I'm like, Cool. It wasn't that I thought, oh, this is over. Wow. Okay. It was like, wow. Okay. This is, man, this was great. And I was in there for like an hour and I felt like 10 minutes because the way the person did it was very good. 
And that was a very good process for my body to start working on recovery of what needed to be done. But visualization is very good. You can visualize, you know, if you've got painful calves, you can meditate, visualize on the calf and work on the circulation and reduce the inflammation, different techniques you can do. And even with mental health, because that's our main topic, people with depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress, any of the, the labels, we'll call them just for now, without taking away from what they really are, you don't need to have a label for being able to do this. You can just do it as a preventive, as a helpful thing. And you can just set aside that time every day before you eat, while you're driving, like I said, you can just actually just relax and just breathe mm. and take it all in. And if it's a different environment, if you live near the beach, you can go to the beach every morning, stand there for a couple of minutes, take in the sun. If you're a podcast listener, then you've probably got Insight Timer on your phone and you can be listening to free meditations and totally free. You can do the paid version, obviously, but you can do the free ones and they're quick. I've got a few on there that I really enjoy that are 10 minutes that help me go off to sleep at night. And generally I'm asleep at the five minute mark and that automatically turns off because that's the whole point of the app is that it will turn off because you finished. So there's all sorts of different ways of getting us from these fight and flight stages into a better stress system, into recognizing stress. And lots of people don't recognize it. So understanding stress. One thing about our clients, they won't necessarily acknowledge the word stress or say, no, I'm not stressed. Whereas when you go through things with them, you actually realize they're in burnout. So they've gone past stress. They've stepped way past stress and they're into burnout. And so I don't say to people that they have to acknowledge the word stress. They don't want to acknowledge it. They say, I haven't got any stress, but they're clearly stressed and have a lot of stress. Then we can say, your coping mechanisms are amazing. Your resilience is incredible. So let's work on that to improve your health. So we flip that coin. So rather than saying you're stressed, which can take on negative connotations for people, we flip the coin and say, you've got incredible coping techniques. You're amazingly resilient. Let's support that resilience to make it even easier for you to deal with all the things. So we use the word deal rather than stress or cope. Swipper. We flip our words. We switch them over or swip if you want to combine. Switch and flip. That's can you make up a lot of words here. <laughs> I do make up a lot of words. Uh, some of the words I've made up over the years have been incredible. And <laughs> but we can change it to the positive aspect for our client by changing the words that we use for them so that they we get them on board because we've flipped it. We're not saying they're stressed. We can see they're stressed. They've just explained to us how stressed they are. And yet they're saying, I'm not stressed. We flip it. And we and, can get them to. And that's part of the process. And mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought up burnout because that was one of the last stages after exhaustion stage where it keeps yeah. going. And a lot of people in burnout without knowing. Yeah. And they just keep going, like you're saying. So sometimes a person, if you say to them they're stressed, which again, we're just saying you don't, they don't notice it because their body's coping. They're going through all those different stages we talked about yeah. and that they're coping with that. So maybe their situation is stressful, but their body's coping so well, they don't notice it. And then it sometimes is a good and bad thing. Someone actually says to them, you're stressed. Their body then recognizes it, then they crash because they didn't know. It's going through all these stages and phases. It's hormones and neurotransmitters. It's doing everything right, what it thinks is going right, but it doesn't know, which sounds funny. Your body doesn't recognize it's under stress. It just keeps going. You get up, you go to bed, you get up, you go to bed. You do everything normal, but it doesn't know that until someone or something tells it 
than it's stressed. Like you say to someone, you look stressed or you look hot or you look, they haven't noticed it maybe at that stage until you bring it to their attention. And then they feel hot or cold or something, but they never realize themselves. Like it's a 10 degree Celsius day in there and they've got a t-shirt and you say to them, oh, you must feel the cold or you must be cold. And they haven't recognized it yet. They then go and put a jacket on because you've just told them. Yeah. And it's the way, it's funny the way how the body works. Yeah, like that. It's working through things. So I think it's very good topic, this one mm-hmm. that we could talk forever about. And there's yeah. lots of different ways we can work with. And mm-hmm. we talked about nutrition in the last yeah. one. The next two podcasts, we're talking about all the different herbs we're going to be covering, which is very exciting for the herbies out there. They love the herbs. And then the final one is the lifestyle medicine, where we talk about um, massage and we talk, bring, get back to yogas and pilates and Again, the meditation. We bring and sort of close everything off of lifestyle medicine. So I'm very excited for the next two. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been absolutely brilliant. As I've said previously, we've got content in the show notes. So if you want to follow anything up or you want the link to book in with Brad, it's all in the show notes. Obviously, if you've stayed all the way to the end, don't forget that five-star review that we love so much. So thank you for joining us and thank you so much, Brad, and I'll see you next week. Thanks so much for joining me today. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast for the weekly episodes. If you'd like even more support and learning, then the Academy is for you. Here you'll find part two of the herbal discussions, more clinical learning and case studies to support your clients in practice. Bye for now.